I remember as a child, Bobby McFerrin's 1988 hit song. You may not recognize the name Bobby McFerrin, but my guess is you probably know the little song he wrote. You might even want to sing it note for note. Don't worry what? Be happy. Don't worry, be happy, right? That's kind of this mantra. That's it. I heard it. Yeah, absolutely, right? That little... All right, it keeps going there, right? Anyway, yeah, absolutely. I had it in my notes. I was just afraid to do it. Thanks, Corey, for just launching me further. Listen, I mean, that was kind of that, that mantra we have it in life, right? Don't worry, just be happy, right? And so um, it kind of reminds me of another classic. It was a 1994 classic, The Lion King, right? And two of our friends show up, Pumbaa and Timon, right? And they show up and they start singing a kuna what? Matata. And that song means, it means what? No no worries for the rest of your days, right? It's our problem-free what? Philosophy, right? Hakuna Matata, right? Absolutely. And if, if you've watched the movie, and I'm assuming many of you have, here you singing, you know the two words, or Pumbaa says those two words have solved all of our problems. I got a news flash for Pumbaa today. I literally, I searched into Google. You can try. I don't know what's going to pull up on yours, but I searched into Google, right? You know how Google has like auto suggest. And so I just, I typed in these words, how can I be? And guess what the second thing that Google suggested was? How can I be happy? The second one, the third one was, how can I be a good person? And it seems like those things often run together, right? I mean, the reality is, right, we've been singing, don't worry, be happy, right? We've been singing Akuna Matata, it means no worries, right, for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. But the reality is, we all know, just like Google knows, that people are still in desperate need of happiness. And so today, as we look to the text, I mean, I think maybe some of you, as we come here to Matthew 5 and these Beatitudes, and we're going to walk through those this morning. It's, I think that oftentimes maybe we come and we just think that if I could stop this bad habit, if I just start helping the poor, right, if I could be a better spouse, if I, I could just be a better student in the classroom, if I could quit cussing, if I could just get over this grudge or this hardship that I have, that I've been bitter toward this person that's done me or my family wrong for the last five years, ten years, however long you've been carrying it. Like, we just think, if I do that, then I'll be a good enough person. And if I do those things, right, and we're often maybe even just like duped into believing we do those things, then somehow I'll be happy. Yet no matter how we try, listen, happiness, let's be honest, it's elusive. I mean, it can be here like for like a brief season, everything today may be going great in your life, and just let that phone ring for a moment. Let that next text message come through. Let that next headline collide with your life. Hear that diagnosis in the doctor's room this week. Call in hospice. Right? Experience moments in life where you just have those things collide with you and you thought everything was okay. You thought everything was good. It was a season of happiness. But man, let's be honest. Happiness is so temporary. Happiness is like Kentucky weather, right? They say about Kentucky weather, if you don't like it, what? Just wait a while, right? Just just hold on for a season. Tucky's weather will change. Happiness can be like that. And so today, listen, I, I want you to not get duped into thinking, listen, if I can just get this right, if I can start doing that, then I'll be happy. Because the reality is we've all experienced moments in life when we were happy and things collided and we were no longer happy. And here's the danger. 
We experience those moments. We get knocked down in life and we think, man, if I go just get myself back up, I'll try harder or I'll try this and then I know that will bring happiness or I'll just be the self-made man or the self-made woman and I will get there on my own. And yet Jesus reminds us today of this, maybe this idea I would throw at you. To enter the kingdom, you can't be filled. You have to be empty. To enter God's kingdom, you can't be filled. You can't do it on your own. You have to be empty. It's this unbelievable thing as we're going to walk through the Beatitudes today and, and see the beauty of this portion of Scripture and the beauty of what we heard last week as we walked through Matthew 5-7 through 7, as you just heard the Word of God. And yet today there's also going to be a reality that I heard from some of you at the back door. I've heard from some of you this week. There's a terror to this message. There's a terror to Matthew 5-7 through 7 because we hear that and we realize we don't measure up to that. I want you to know today, as you're going to see in Matthew chapter 5, specifically verse 3, that there is hope. There is hope. So let's look at it first, the beauty of the Beatitudes. Look at me, Wood. Verse 1 begins, when Jesus sees the crowds, he goes up on the mountain, and after he sits down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them, saying this, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. It's this unbelievable moment. Again, we hear this continually throughout this message. Blessed, blessed, blessed. It indicates something more than happiness. It indicates a right standing with God, an inner peace, a promise of a future reward. One of my professors at Southern Seminary, he's one of the like world-renowned scholars on the book of Matthew. And he says, listen, it might be helpful for us to translate this word blessed as flourishing. That indicating that this excelling, thriving, advancing life. And listen, as you think about it, just listen to that for a minute. Flourishing are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Flourishing are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Pl- flourishing are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Even now, as you hear it and I hear it, listen, we're not very convinced that's right. But yet here it is. And so listen, again, he says these beautiful moments. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, again, he has these these fours every time, right? You might even, it might be helpful for you to translate them because. So blessed are or flourishing are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Right, you think your 401k is doing well. You may be excited about retirement plans or how things are going, but imagine just for a moment inheriting the earth. Imagine for a moment that your inheritance is not this earth even. It's the kingdom of heaven. That is a blessing. That is a flourishing. That is a transformation. Not only that, look what he says there in verse 4. To be comforted in the midst of our sorrow. Specifically, now again, as he's dealing with this morning, we're going to see it as we go through the text more and more. He's dealing with a spiritual mourning, a brokenness over our sin. But listen, some of you here today, you know great heartache. Some of you are in the midst of great heartache. I want you to know and I to remind myself that there is comfort for those who are mourning, for you who are in the midst of heartache. And there is a Savior. There is a God who sees and who cares. Second Corinthians 1 calls Him the God of all comfort. He's the Father of mercies. But the Bible says He comforts us in all of our affliction. 
Listen, it's this unbelievable moment. Paul talks about the fact there in one of his books, I believe it's to the church at Corinth. He says, again, he talks about this idea of inheriting the earth. And he compels the church to say, listen, guys, don't get so focused upon this earth. Do you not realize that everything is yours? You have Paul and Apollos and Cephas. And and then he goes on to say, listen, you have Christ. And that means the whole world is yours. You're going to inherit the world. Why are you so worried about the 42743? The world is yours in Christ. And Jesus, remember, again, don't forget the context. Jesus is just in Matthew chapter 4. It's people that are having diseases, people that are sick, people that are lame. It's the guys that are fishermen. It's not the top echelon or echelon. I don't even know, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's not that tier of people. He's calling fishermen. I mean, listen, Matthew 4 is just this unbelievable like list of people that you and I would overlook if we were building our... I mean, we wouldn't go to Galilee. We wouldn't shine the light there. That's not where we would start. And that's the people. Because again, you need to be reminded of that because some of you feel unqualified to come. You feel too dirty, too ashamed of where you've been this week or what you've done or what your past says about you. And you just feel disqualified to come and even hear this. I want you to know that Jesus says, in fact, that puts you in a very good place. Because if you're empty, because if you're empty, then you can be filled. It's this beautiful moment, this moment of hope. Listen, look what else he says here further in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Some translations render it, for they will be satisfied. Right? I don't know if you remember that song, can't get no what? satisfaction right can't get no i don't know what it's been just songs that run through my head this week but anyway nonetheless there it is right can't get no satisfaction and that tends to be the trajectory of everyone's life and yet jesus says in fact satisfaction or being filled is possible the problem is he says we're just hungering and thirsting for the wrong kind of satisfaction right it's that old song looking for love what and there it is i don't know what's happening here i don't know that (laughs) That, that legit, that wasn't even in the script, so I don't know. Listen, guys, not only that, look what he says, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Right? I mean, can you imagine you standing today before God, you die, your life is over, you stand before God, you know all the stuff that you have done. And yet God, instead of giving you and I what we deserve, and that is hell, that is the separation from God forever in a place of eternal torment and never-ending punishment, God instead, because of Christ, shows you mercy. And that means you don't get what you deserve. Instead, you receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, he says, flourishing are the merciful right because if you show mercy in this world you appear weak listen this is just this beautiful statement of all that paul is throwing before us here look what he says further verse 8 blessed are the pure in heart that indicates this undivided heart this this singleness of mind blessed are the the singleness of mind for they will see god Blessed are those who are pursuing Him on this single track lane. They are just focused upon God and His kingdom. Listen, the Beatitudes are just really a glimpse of all that Jesus is going to do when He begins to walk through Matthew chapter 5, 5 through 7. It's just this 
moment in which we kind of get a taste of where Jesus is getting ready to go. And it kind of sets the course. I mean, I'll give you one, just maybe one example of the beauty of this message, the beauty of this sermon, the glory of it. He says in Matthew 5, 21 to 22, he says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And everyone who murders will be subject to judgment. He says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. The beauty of this kingdom, the people of this kingdom, is they are no longer ruled by an angry heart. We've been working this week with our upward verse, and it's, it's just this. What is it, Josiah? Do you know it? The, the person without what? No, you're not going to say it. The person without self-control is like a city without walls. And we've had lots of opportunity to practice that verse this week. It's just this reminder, listen, the people of God's kingdom are different, though. Listen, he says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder, right? And everybody thinks, well, I haven't murdered, I'm good. But Jesus says, listen, if you have hatred, if you have anger, if you have that bitter resentment, revenge toward those people, might even be the person that sleeps in the bed next to you, the person down the hallway, the person in the cubicle or the office next to you, the person that you have to see quite often, Jesus says, listen, I want you to know that for my people and the people of my kingdom, there is a different way of life. It's the desire is no longer to insult that girl at school or to blow up somebody or blast them in the comment sections of social media. Those who have come to Christ have a transformed heart and therefore a transformed life. The beauty of these people, of God's people, listen, is they no longer hate others. Listen. This is just this unbelievable, beautiful moment in which we hear this sermon and we think, I want that. I want to be like that and I want to live in a kingdom that is that. But if we're being really honest today, I mean, if we're just being honest about this, we've got to ask a question like, who can actually do that? Like, who can live like this? I mean, if you are, again, I heard some of you last week at the door. And I just literally, I, I didn't give hardly any commentary. You just heard Matthew 5 through 7. You heard Jesus' sermon. And many of you were like, man, listen, I, I'm in trouble, bro. And I was like, me too. There's something about this. Listen, it's, it, it's, there's a beauty to this message, but there's also a terror to it. It's as almost as if you got in your bathing suit and you walked before a judge panel and their job was to pick your body apart. Every imperfection. That's some sense in which you and I, as we look at this law, as we look at the Word of God, it's a mirror coming back at us, and we don't like what we see because we don't measure up to this. But if you're not careful, instead of causing you to run to the cross, it'll cause you to run from it and just become a religious person that tries to meet up to this on your own, and that's not what Jesus is after. So listen, beloved, this morning you've got to hear about the terror, not only the beauty and not only the glory, but the terror of the Beatitudes. Listen to what he says back there again um, in verse 5. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Let's be honest, how many of us have always gotten it right that we always put others first? How easy is it to be second? 
How easy is it for let someone else's child be first and your child second or third or wherever they rank down the list? That's, it's, this is not easy. Right? But listen, Jesus, I mean, he just, he calls us to this humility. You say, well, what's that humility look like? Well, listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5. He says in verse 38, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth what? For a tooth. But I tell you, listen to what he says, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if someone slaps you on that right cheek, turn to him what? The other also. What's Jesus saying? We've got to understand the culture. And that culture in day and time, and you, you've probably seen it, whether it's in movies, different things, you've seen that people sometimes come up and give each other a kiss on the cheek as a sign of greeting, of favor, of welcome, of, of fellowship. That's how it was in that culture. And so people would come up and give each other a kiss on the cheek. And so Jesus is saying to us, listen, this, this cheek now represents relationship, right? You see that, how it could happen in that culture. He says, listen, somebody does you wrong, does you dirty, so to speak. They smack you on that cheek. Your tendency is to keep that cheek toward them. And say, I'll not forget what you did to me in 1986. I'll not forget how you treated me in that classroom. I'll not forget how you bullied me. I'll not forget how you talked to me. I'll not forget that text message you sent. But Jesus says, listen, I want you to know, blessed are the humble Why? Because they will inherit the earth. And he says, instead of keeping that cheek and that relationship standard to them, turn to them the other cheek and re-offer the relationship. If I don't get even with them, no, that's going to be them winning. No, no, no. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. You've got to realize that God is the one who is the avenger. God's the one who will repay and get everything right. So you can be humble and turn the cheek and reoffer the relationship to them. But listen, beloved, flourishing are the humble like that. Not many people are willing to let somebody else because everybody says you're letting them walk all over you. Don't you care about your kids? Don't you have some self-pride? How could you let someone say that about you and not defend yourself? Blessed are the humble. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And right, we see him there as he goes and he's beaten, as he looks ultimately to the cross and as they pull out his beard and they spit and they mock him. Listen, I want to know today, how have you been doing forgiving others who have wronged you? Do you maybe find yourself, right, Emily and I, in premarital counseling, I'll never forget, he talked about one of the greatest dangers to our marriage. You know, we were meeting with Dr. Wigginton, and he was just working through things. He said, one of the greatest dangers to you guys' marriage will be this. If when you argue and fight, one of you or both of you gets historical. In the sense that you steam up every fight, yeah, but you remember what you did three weeks ago. Yeah, but who didn't take out the trash? Yeah, but you didn't do that. Yeah, but you remember how you treated me back when we were dating? Yeah, but you remember what you did with so-and-so? In every relationship, man, you just get historical. And guess what? You never deal with your own heart issue because you always got this little cover. And it's history. And you just pull it out anytime you need to. And it keeps you from dealing with heart issues in your relationship. And it causes marriages and other things to greatly suffer. Listen, Emily and I don't get that perfect. I struggle with it probably more than she does. But you've got to guard against that. Listen, beloved, that is a sense in which you and I are just willing to humble ourselves. Right? I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no what? Record of wrongs. 
here in the midst of accounting tax season, right? Love keeps no record of wrongs. He says further, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you today crave fellowship with anything or anyone more than God? Do you find yourself longing after entertainment? Do you find yourself no just desiring to read that another good book? Do you find yourself fantasizing or imagining, I can't wait till I get an hour or two hours or ten hours or whatever to play my video games? More than maybe you just find yourself, your devotion, your heart is just spent on work and how you're going to do this and that and that and that and that. More than maybe you find even your family is more significant or some special person. You just, man, just being honest today, you really and I don't really hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see the terror of this? Like who can really meet up to that? He says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A pure heart, a single focus. Again, and he talks about here in Matthew 6 about how we give. And listen, we've got to be guarded. Why? Because we can give and put money in the plate. And when we give, our hearts can become so prideful. Yeah, and maybe nobody else knows, but man, our heart just feels so prideful. Ah, look at what I gave. Or when we pray, right? I have a tendency just to want to pray for show. I'm just being really honest with you. I want you sometimes to think, dude, my preacher is so spiritual. Did you hear how many scriptures he cited in his prayer? That's just legit. I'm being honest with you. Jesus warns about that very kind of hypocrisy in Matthew 6. He says, you hypocrite, preacher. That's a hypocrite, bro. That's what, that's, what the, that's what they Gentiles do. They babble and think God will hear them because they're many words. They make these lofty prayers, Pharisees. I don't know about you today, but man, I need my heart purified. Because I want to see God. It's just unbelievable, right? And listen, I mean, this, this pure heart, this singleness of mind to God, it's hard. Why? Because Jesus says in, in places like we're going to see in the coming weeks, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right? We have this mantra in our society that says, look, but don't what? Touch. And we think, man, I'm all good. Long as long as I, man, if I look but don't touch, I'm good. And Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. Why? Because I'm not just judging, I'm not just judging you on your touching. I'm judging you on your heart. You see the terror of this text? I don't know about you, but it causes me like want to cower and like, dude, I need some cover. I want you to know that there's, there's a cover. There's a cover. There's a cross and there's a Christ. And you sang about it on that cursed tree. There's a cover for your sin and your shame. Shame. His name is Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the hope. Listen, beloved, if you're here like I am, and you say, man, maybe today I'm guilty of checking out someone other than my spouse. Maybe you're guilty of something you clicked on, searched for, scrolled for this past week. Maybe you just again would just be honest and say, my heart is not pure. There's a terror to this sermon today. It strikes terror in our hearts. Why? Because no man or no woman, no boy or no girl can measure up to this. But remember, beloved, start out with this, this, this statement. I want to throw it to you again. To the enter the kingdom, you can't be filled but empty. I hope and pray that just that today as you hear this text, instead of running from God, it causes you to realize, God, help me. 
God, I don't have anything. You, you know me, God. You know my heart. I don't have anything. If you judge me based upon my heart, I mean, outwardly, people think I'm good, but God, inwardly, you know. You know my thoughts. You know my heart. You perceive them from afar, the psalmist says. God, rescue me. It's the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said about Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 here. He said, it's the key to the entire sermon. This is it. If you want to understand how might you interpret all of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you've got to get Matthew 5 and 3 right. You've got to. So let's just for a moment slow down and look at it briefly. Jesus says to them, as he began, this again, it's the first line that Matthew records for us out of Jesus' sermon. Verse 2, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We've got today to land and say, what does it mean then to be poor in spirit? What what is this? Because this is the key to understanding everything else that's going to follow in the Beatitudes and all throughout Matthew 5 and 7, right? We need to understand, what does this mean? Why? Because some of you, I think, this last week, as you heard, just literally, again, if you weren't with us last week, I literally just, I just, I just recited, read through Matthew 5 through 7. That was a sermon. And many of you felt like, man, I, I just, there's no way I can measure up to that. And you are so right. And listen, beloved, Jesus begins his sermon by saying, blessed or flourishing are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Some men and women have heard Matthew 5 through 7 and think, that's okay, that's what it means to be a good person. I'll keep trying to do that. I'll be better at my giving. I'll be better at my praying. I'll quit looking at so-and-so, right? I don't have to take revenge. Like, I'll just be like this good person. That's not what Jesus is teaching. In fact, Jesus warns in this very text of Matthew 5, verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And those folks, listen, that's exactly what they were after. Righteousness outwardly. And Jesus said this is about righteousness inwardly. This is about leading from within. This is not about leadership that's outward and looks great to everyone else. No, he said this starts first and foremost, beloved, with your heart. And that starts with being poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it indicates spiritual bankruptcy. Like that you don't have anything good to bring. Right? That you just have nothing to offer to God. I mean, it's, it's that old song, nothing in my hand I bring simply to what? That cross I cling. I don't bring anything to you. Like what should I give the king that has everything? He's not fooled by my outward righteousness. He knows my heart. He knows the motive. I can fool you guys all day long. I can. And many of you are fooling me. But man, none of us are fooling God. I mean, that, right? That, that was with Samuel. Samuel thought, surely he's going to go anoint the new king after Saul. He's like, surely it's this son of Jesse. Surely it's this son, this son, this son. God's like, not him. Don't look at the outward appearance. Because I don't look at the outward appearance, Sam. That's what man looks at. But I'm God, and God looks at what? The heart. Don't hide behind your pew. The pew won't save you on judgment. There's only one that will save you. It's the blood of the Lamb, beloved. Realize today that you are poor in spirit. And listen, Jesus says that's in fact blessed. 
You don't have anything to offer. You just come again. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to that cross I cling. It's this amazing moment. But listen, we have this tendency maybe, like I don't, I don't know about you, can you imagine today if you were making soup for your family? And you said, listen, I'm going to make soup for my family and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find this soup that's been sitting out on our counter that's got like all this nasty stuff that's now grown up the side in it and I'm just going to start the new soup right on top of that. That's what, that's what people do. They hear this and they think, okay, I've got to start doing this better today. Okay, I mean, you come through Matthew chapter 6 or 7, you think that in the coming weeks, okay, I just got to work on this better now. I need to get better at this. No. No. Jesus says you cannot pour new wine into old wineskins. You can't pour the new soup on top of the old soup. You must first remember and know this, that you and I are spiritually bankrupt and we have nothing to offer God. And yet in His love, He came for us just as we were in the midst of that spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's this unbelievably beautiful moment. Martin Lloyd-Jones commenting on this passage says, There's a mountain that you have to scale, the heights you have to climb, and the first thing you must realize as you look at that mountain which you are told you must ascend is that you cannot do it. That you are utterly incapable in and of yourself and that any attempt to do it in your own strength is proof positive that you have not understood it. The word poor is used at different places in the New Testament. And here in this text, it indicates being to crouch or to cringe, implying utter destruction. It's, it's this sense in which, right, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, when he sees the Lord in all of His glory, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King of glory. And it's the Lord who brings that seraphim with that coal from the altar and places it there. And he says, see, now I have atoned for your sin. And that's when he echoes back in verse 8. When after the Lord asked, who shall go for us and whom shall I send? And he says, here am I, send me. You've done the greatest thing for my crouching and cringing, my poor in spirit heart. Listen, beloved, today it is good news to you if you realize that you are poor in spirit, that you have nothing to offer to God. Jesus says that's the place of blessedness. But look where he does here. He begins to build upon that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. What are they mourning over? They're mourning over the fact, right, that they're poor in spirit. They realize they're ruined before God. They have no hope. And so they're the people who have to cry out to God for mercy and grace. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, Bartimaeus said. But Jesus warned of the danger in Luke 18. He told the story of two men that went to pray. And one of them was a Pharisee. And he said, Lord, I want to thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a liar. I'm not a thief. I'm not like this tax collector. I give 10% of all that I give. And I fast twice weekly. And it says this tax collector also came. And it says that he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but bowed his head and beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, that man went home justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. This beautiful moment of mourning over the fact that we can't save ourselves. And then he says, and then further there, again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Do you see it? The person who comes poor in spirit, having nothing to offer God, mourning over the fact that they are broken in their sin and they can't save themselves, humbly acknowledging they have a desperate need and now they are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Do you see it? You can't hunger and thirst for Him while you're still filled with the world. You must first be empty, beloved, to truly realize that He is all that you need. moment that we could be filled with God right filled filled by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live the life that Jesus is calling us to live as his disciples and followers in Matthew 5 through 7 just a moment of hope but we might need to ask well how how does God just show us mercy how does he delight in filling us in the midst of our spiritual poverty and sin wrecked lives listen to what he what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the grace of Christ. Though he was rich. He's rich. For, look what he says. Your sake. He became what? He became poor. Why? So that. Here's why. By his poverty, you might become what? Rich. Now listen, this isn't talking about physical riches. Yes, we inherit that. But beloved, this is about the spiritual richness of the grace of God. That you might become rich even though you're poor and you have nothing to offer. It's this moment of hope and joy. Today, listen, Because of what Jesus did, even though he was rich, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, Paul says in Philippians 2. But instead, he made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Today, therefore, you can be comforted. Why? Because he mourned on the cross. Today, you can enter God's kingdom. Why? Because he became spiritually poor. Today you can inherit the earth. Why? Because He humbled Himself to become obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You today can be filled. Why? Because He cried out on the cross, I thirst. You today can be shown mercy because on the the cross He got none. None from Pilate, none from the crowd, and none from His Father. So that you always, as you come to the Father through the Son, You could receive mercy. That Jesus says, now that you can be merciful to others. This moment of hope. I want to ask, have you received that? Have you received the forgiveness of sins? Maybe a couple applications in closing. Uh, J.D. Greer, pastor, um, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, made a couple comments on on this passage here, and I thought a couple of them just really stood out to me. One thing he said was, according to Jesus, happiness is not a set of circumstances, but the fruit of a right relationship with God. Happiness is not my circumstances, but it's the fruit of a right relationship with God, right? The English word happy comes from the word happening. And it indicates that we're happy when things happening in our life are going well. And when things aren't happening the way we want them to, we're not happy. 
But listen, Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew chapter 5, right? And showing us that, guess what? Happiness, blessed life, the flourishing life is not about your and my circumstances. So I want to know today, can you have joy? Can you have the blessed life even if your health doesn't change? Even if that relationship doesn't come back together? Even if your finances don't change? Even if, listen, beloved, things in your life or your career don't progress, could you be happy with life? Listen, Jesus says, listen, none of those things are the key to happiness. The key to happiness is knowing Christ. It is being satisfied in Him. Listen, that's why we see Him abandoned and forsaken by His friends in poverty and no home, and yet He has joy. Listen, beloved, secondly, remind yourself of this, that happiness is a response to the gospel. It's, again, not our circumstances. According to Jesus, happiness or this blessed life is our response to the gospel. Notice what happens here. It's a very interesting moment. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And it's here that he begins to share this hope, this law, so to speak. Well, guess what? Again, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. We talked about that. He's reminding us of someone else who went up on the mountain and brought the law down. But listen, all throughout the Old Testament, and maybe you've been guilty of this, people look at the Ten Commandments and think that's how I get in right relationship with God. I keep this one, I keep number three, I got number four, I got number five. Listen, I'm good in Matthew 5 here, I'm good in Matthew 6 there. You just keep thinking it's this ladder. Like if I climb this, if I do that, I'm good. Remember what happened with the law of Moses? The law was given after God brought them out of slavery, after God provided salvation, not before. The law was just simply a response to the experience of being saved. So it is here in Matthew 5-7, through the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't get it right, that pouring the Spirit is where you and I begin. It's our relationship now with God that evokes this response of life to living out what the Word of God says. This is the key again. It's the foundation of where everything is headed. Because listen, Jesus saved us. We can be poor in spirit. Why? Because He promises to be my sufficiency in all things. Right? Because Jesus saved me. I can now enter into the pain of others and attempt to help them because Jesus has saved me. I don't have to be first anymore. I can be second or third or fourth or wherever God places me in the rank. Because Jesus saved me, listen, I can hunger and thirst for God. Why? Because God is truly my righteousness and He is the one thing that will satisfy me. It's just this hope of looking at it differently. Don't come to the Sermon on the Mount thinking, if I do good enough, then God will love me. If I do good enough, I'll climb the mountain myself. No, You come to this mountain because this Savior came down the mountain to rescue and bring you to His Father. Your living of Matthew 5-7, through beloved, is a response and a moment of worship of saying, thank you. But I know, God, I'll never live good enough to earn my righteousness. Righteousness is by grace alone. For it is by grace, Paul said, as our musicians make their way, that you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You cannot earn your righteousness. Beloved, today if you see that you are poor and needy, Jesus says that you are blessed and you are flourishing. 
today, some of you need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, coming and confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior. Others of you, as believers, you need to try to... You've you, you got to quit trying to earn it. Thinking somehow you're going to make God happy enough by the way you live this week. And if this week went good, then you feel like worshiping the day. And if this week went good, then you're going to come to church. But if it goes bad, then you're going to be off until you get things right. No, we come here. This is a hospital for sinners. The church is a place of people who need rescuing. A place of people who have declared, I am poor in spirit. Today, beloved, will you come and bow? We surrender your life, believer. What about this today pricked you? Don't run from it. Bow. Repent. We invite you. Maybe others of you are thinking about joining the church. We want to invite you to come. Brother Todd and I would love to meet and talk with you. This morning, would you stand with us and sing? This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.